is Friday, February 16th, and Taylor Swift is tonight playing the first of her Aussie shows at Melbourne's MCG. That was just a moment of silence for all of us not going. But hey, fun fact, if you're in Auckland and if you visit a Krispy Kreme with a friendship bracelet, a.k.a. the things that everyone going to a Taylor concert wears to swap with one another, Krispy Kreme will give you a free donut. Someone send me one in the post, please. That's a donut or a ticket. I'll take either or both. Kia ora, this is Newsable. I'm Imogen and this is what's worth talking about. Seven years on since the last devastating fires at the Port Hills, how will the landscape recover after being hit again? The Australian MP who had her image photoshopped by a news outlet joins us for her first New Zealand media interview since the saga. NRL is back and tonight's All-Stars matches will see Sky Sport commentators going bilingual, plus we checking in on our Kakapo population six months on from their big move up north. All that's coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support. Investigations are underway into the cause of the Port Hills fire that broke out on Wednesday afternoon. Aerial images already show the extensive damage to the landscape with smouldering trees and scorched scrubland blanketing the area. So, how does an area spring back to life after such a big blaze? Nicola Day is a fire ecologist at Victoria University and she joins us now. Kia ora. Kia ora. Nicola, how does an area recover after a huge fire like this? Some plants are really well adapted to recover after fires. Um, typically, they can uh, regenerate immediately after fires. So like the top of the plant is burnt off, but the, the roots and the soil are still kind of intact and then the plant can just re-sprout. Uh, and then the other way that the vegetation recovers is by dispersal of seeds into the area. So that's kind of the how vegetation recovers after fire. There can be lots of other impacts that can alter that. You know, if the vegetation is burnt right down to the soil, then some of the soil could blow away. So there could be erosion of soil. There could also be changes in the soil microbial communities that could impact nutrients available for plants after fire. And so what do we know about the plants and vegetation in the Port Hills. What sort are they and are they going to be able to regenerate after this? So I'm from Christchurch. I grew up in Christchurch originally so I'm pretty familiar with the Port Hills and we won't really know what's burning there until after it's all gone through. But yeah I mean pine is is really highly flammable. It's one of these species that's actually really well adapted to fire and so it has this chemistry in its leaves that really promotes fire. Grasses like the tussock grasses, uh, they're what we term fast fuels. So they um, ignite really quickly and then the fire burns through really quickly. So um, there's not a huge amount of heat produced during that. um, So it can be a less severe fire because there's just less fuel, but it can be very fast moving. In the pine area, it's, um, you know, there's a lot of things to burn. I mean, you put pine on your fires mm. that's a really good fuel and it'll just hold it'll hold the heat and then probably um, be a more intense or severe burn in the areas that have lots of pine. And what about the biodiversity in the area will all of that be lost? 
I think there's a couple of things to think about when fires come through and how that impacts biodiversity. Um, one is like how fire tolerant the vegetation is to begin with and, and can it come back after fires. The other is um, if it's more severe, then there's more likely to be big changes in the vegetation and the soils. And so then that has flow on impacts for um, habitat, for birds and invertebrates and, and everything else in the, in the full sort of ecosystem. The other factor here that's really interesting is that this area actually only burned a few years ago, right? And so this is such a, a thing that we in fire ecology, I've been working in fires for um, almost a decade now, and uh, everyone always says, you know, we're going to get more intense fires, more severe fires, and more frequent fires. And it just feels like this one patch on the Port Hills is really demonstrating all of those things right now. And so when we have more frequent fires, it's more difficult for the vegetation to recover. Well, does another big fire in the same spot tell us something about what should be planted there and what we should be trying to get growing there? look around you there's lots of different plants and they do lots of different things and they look different and some of them burn really well and some of them don't burn very well so the obvious thing is to plant things that don't burn very well. I know that at Lake Oho that community was surrounded by pines and so those people there have decided that they are not going to plant pines in their community anymore. Nicola Day from Victoria University thank you very much for your time and sharing your expertise. Thank you. As I mentioned earlier, in case you weren't aware, Taylor Swift's first Australian show on her Eras tour is tonight at Melbourne's MCG. Are you going? Did you get tickets to any of her Aussie shows? Not just tonight. Let us know on our stuff Instagram page. We'll have a poll on our stories. Just search NZ Stuff. I'll be very interested to see how many of you got tickets. Because remember, if you've got one spare, you can email it to me. Newsable at stuff.co.nz. It was one of the biggest stories across the ditch these last couple of weeks. A major television news outlet, Channel 9 Melbourne, photoshopping a photo of a federal MP, Georgie Purcell. The photo was altered to make her wear a crop top and skirt as opposed to the dress she was wearing and her breasts were also made to look bigger. Now, in a statement, Channel 9 said it was an automation done by Photoshop while cropping the image. But Adobe has itself also commented, saying the use of its generative AI features would have required human intervention and approval. But what has the fallout been since the news broke? Well, with us now is the Aussie MP herself, Georgie Purcell. Georgie, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on. What's the response been since all of this happened? I imagine it's been a wild couple of weeks. Yeah, I have never experienced anything like it. And I think it's probably a real reflection on the mistreatment of women in politics and how used to it you get because I knew that the Photoshop was bad uh, and it made me uncomfortable, but it wasn't until I put it out to the public and saw the huge response that I truly grasped probably just how wrong it was. And, uh, yeah, since then it's just been absolute chaos with interest around the whole world and it's only just starting to calm down now. What do you also think this does for trust in media? Yeah, I think that's a really good question and our conversation that came out of the Photoshop incident is that we would like to think with our major news outlets that we're getting reliable news and, you know, of course, realistic images and it's making people question it, right? And um, 
it's opened up a whole, I guess, can of worms because if it was AI, as Channel 9 has claimed, or whether it was a human interference, if it was AI, there's, this is emerging technology that is uh, creating risks that we're probably not equipped to deal with and the, at the very least needs to be transparency with the public when, when AI is used, but we don't have laws telling us that that uh, that is the case. And even if it was just AI, that's still not a, a very good excuse or reason, right? No, that's right, because if it was AI, obviously there's no human, um, I guess, quality control over the final product, which is, uh, and we know that AI is fundamentally sexist. It mm. creates images where women are in more revealing clothing and it creates images where men are in, you know, suits and shirts and ties. And if it was AI in this scenario, I've certainly been a victim of the uh, sexist, I guess, um, uh, views that it has on society. It soaks in information from the public and the fact that it's turning out women in more revealing clothing with larger breasts is, is a huge problem and we need to make sure that it doesn't happen to anyone else. Are you, in your capacity as a politician, looking to make formal changes in this space and introduce legislation around this? Yeah, look, so this all obviously happened um, as a bit of a shock to me and I suddenly entered a conversation I wasn't expecting to about the risks of AI. But as a result of it, I have obviously done a lot of media interviews that have resulted in uh, other women reaching out to me that have had the same thing happen to them um, by people in their private lives or their images uh, taken from online and turned into deep fakes. And I feel like it's come, I guess, with an unexpected sense of responsibility as someone who has also experienced it to uh, at least have those political conversations. And I have raised it with the government here about my concerns that we are not equipped with our laws to deal with the risks that AI is presenting to society, particularly uh, vulnerable communities and marginalised communities and, and women and gender diverse people the real impact that it can have when our images are taken and manipulated because in my instance um, it wasn't as severe as what happens to other people but there are women out there who have their images taken from their Instagram profiles and are turning to full nude deep fake pornography on the internet that looks so real um, and it can be uh, life destroying and soul destroying and we need to we need to do better to ensure that people are protected when it happens to them and to prevent it from happening in the first place. Georgie Purcell, Australian MP, thank you very much for taking the time to chat. Thanks for having me. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You'll also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts. An update on my bird of the year every year, the kākāpō, is still to come. And hey, if you are enjoying what you're hearing, do chuck us a like and a follow on your favourite podcast platform. After all the fervour around the Wars last year, the NRL season finally kicks off again, officially tonight, with both men's and women's all-stars matches. The Australian Indigenous teams versus the New Zealand Māori teams. And in the Sky commentary team for the matches is former league player Honey Hirime Smiler, and she is here for some usable sport, proudly brought to you by Sky, your sport unrivaled. Kia ora, Honey. Kia ora, thanks for having me, looking forward to it. 
So something pretty special tonight. The commentary team will be integrating Te Reo Māori. What does that mean for you to have Te Reo used? Oh, look, I think it's awesome. As you know, rugby league and, and specifically this Indigenous All-Stars game is um, the viewership in terms of uh, Māori viewers, I suppose, is, is extremely high. So I think it's great that they're wanting to, I suppose, widen their fan base and um, and cater to the need there. So it's going to be lots of fun. Yeah, the two experts. I'll, I'll be the bilingual person because I'm very much on on my own today with Jenny and still learning. So, and I think it'd be great. Hopefully, not to put you on the spot. Then I was wondering if you could give us some of the phrases with the translations that you might be sprinkling in throughout the evening, so that we can read up on them and practice them during the day. Oh yeah, I don't know. I think um, I'm hoping that our for our mighty all stars tiny thing that's uh They'll be getting plenty of pedal, which is uh, plenty of tries. Nice. Uh, fun as to kick on. There's a few, so I'll leave it to the experts and, and I'll focus on uh, just looking at my game here. <laughs> and talk to us about these all-star matches and the competition between the all-star Indigenous and Māori teams. Do they have a long history? Uh, yeah, absolutely. They have a long history in terms of uh, you know them being involved with the game of rugby league. This game specifically, though, uh, has traditionally been going this week, the fourth year. Uh, the, uh, the Māori All-Stars have been included. It used to be sort of a, a Indigenous All-Stars versus a Rugby League All-Stars. Um, but, yeah, it's it's probably uh, where they've taken the game, I suppose, getting both Indigenous teams playing against each other. You can see there's a real connection between the two cultures, and specifically when the Indigenous teams came here to New Zealand last year and got to experience the beautiful Rotorua, you know, going on to um, Marawai, having a porphyry and, and everything. They were fully immersed in, in um, I suppose, Te Ao Māori and, and welcomed in that way. And what are you expecting to see on the field for the men and women? Is it just going to be electric everywhere? Oh, plenty of firepower, eh? you know. Like, that's the thing. When, you, when you're playing for a culture, it kind of means something a little bit different. But mm. even if I can say it, it means a little bit more for you, you know, when you're representing, I suppose, your, your roots, your your bloodline, all of that stuff, your heritage, your whānau, your iwi, all of that. It just it, it gives it that another layer for, for Māori and for Indigenous. Wow, look, it's, it's going to be explosive. It's going to be powerful. Both games, both the, the wahine and the tāne games, I mean, the, the talent is crazy that's out there. It's, it's just a, <laughs> such a great way to kick off the season. It's so exciting to get it back. And after the huge amount of support for the Warriors and their performance last season, are you expecting to see the same this year? Yeah, I think they're just going to ride off the momentum. You know, what they created with their fan base and their fan engagement last year moved a nation, right? Up the Wales was part of it, but there was just everything else that came along with it. And, and the priority being their performances on the field. I mean, everything, mm. you know, you, you're, you're attracted to a good brand of football and that's exactly what they've done. Do you think leagues captured the imagination of supporters, perhaps at the expense of rugby? Oh, good question. Just because it was so exciting last year? League's always been uh, my game from the, from the get-go, so <laughs> um, I always think that it is an attractive sport to watch. It, it's probably a lot less technical. It's easy for new fans to understand the game and see what's going on. It's fast. There's a lot of ball in play. There's been a massive uptake in rugby league and I'm excited for this All-Stars game to to kick the year off. Did you manage to get your hands on one of the new jerseys? I'm waiting for it to be on a plane and come back when the team comes back. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us and enjoy tonight in that bilingual commentary box. Thank you for listening to this newsable Sport Proudly, brought to you by Sky, your sport unrivaled. Kia ora, thank you.
Now Sky is live. Bilingual coverage begins at 7.30pm Friday tonight on Sky Sport 1 and Sky Sport Now and we'll be free to air on Sky Open. It's been around six months since Kākāpō made their North Island comeback. Ten of the extremely endangered green chonky birds were relocated from Fenuaho, an island near Stewart Island, to a sanctuary in the Waikato, Maungatauteri. So, half a year later, have things gone to plan and will we see more make the move? Here to update us is Andrew Digby from the Department of Conservation's Kākāpō recovery team. Kia ora, Andrew. Nice to have you back. Kia ora. Nice to be here. So how has this relocation gone over the last six months? Because I believe we've had a few escapees. Yeah, that's true. I guess it's fair to say it probably hasn't quite gone as we expected it would. And that's probably normal for Kākāpō. They never they never follow the rules. And so <laughs> one of the things that's happened that is not what we expected is that we've had quite a few Kākāpō escape from Mangatātri. So escaping over the, the fence, um, which was a 47-kilometre fence, quite a substantial bit <laughs> of kit. And... Um, yeah, and so even though we actually made steps to Kākāpō-proof that fence and as a, there was a barrier put on so they couldn't climb it, it seems like they have other ways of getting over. That's so funny. Um, were, when they managed to escape, were they found close by? Was it a huge um, panic or, or, or was it all under control? The first time it was a surprise, I think, mm. <laughs> um, after we kind of got used to it now. They weren't necessarily found near the fence. The first one that escaped actually hugged the fence for a long time and actually revisited where he escaped from. So we suspect he might have been trying to get in, realising he was in the paddocks and wanted to get back in the forest. But um, he actually ended up about three or four kilometres from the fence and other birds have gone similar distance of some as far as seven kilometres from the fence. So they certainly make their way pretty quickly across the paddocks when they want to. I wonder where they think they're going. Remind us why you decided to make the move for this select few of the kākāpō from down south, Whenuaho, near the Stewart, near Stewart Island, to the Waikato. Yeah, so it's actually a really important site for us, Mangatautri, because it's, a, I guess, for a couple of reasons. One, it's a symbolic step back to the mainland for kākāpō, and that's our ultimate goal, is to return kākāpō to the mainland. In the shorter term, it, it's a place where we can put them um, because our existing sanctuaries for Kākāpō, the offshore islands, are, are getting full, too full. So we need more habitats. How is it different? So the forest types are different there. They're in down south, um, where Kākāpō are mainly situated on islands such as Whenuaho and Pukanui Anchor Island, it's a rimu-dominated forest. Mm. And so the rimu trees are, trees are what, bright, um, what drives the breeding there. But... Although there's quite a lot of rimu among the Tauri, it's kind of not the dominant forest type. And we know Kākāpō used to live there in pre-human times. We know they will breed there, but it's um, yeah, a case of understanding what it is that they would eat mainly and what they would breed in response to. And so there are how many Kākāpō still uh, in the confines of Mangatauteri? There are four there at the moment. We didn't want to take all the birds away because we want Kakapo to stay there. We want to learn more about the site and we want to learn more about how these birds are escaping and why they're escaping so we can actually understand and try and solve that problem. Andrew Digby from the Department of Conservation's Kakapo Recovery Team. Thank you so much, as always, for talking to me about my favourite bird ever. No problem. Nice to be here. Thank you. I just love the idea of a kakapo going walkabout and just saying, see ya, I'm off to fend for myself. What do you think you're going to do? You're one of the most endangered species this world has ever seen. Anyway, hopefully one day one makes it to my um, garden. I'll look after it. That is Newsable for today. I'm Imogen Wells. I'll speak to you soon. If you liked listening to this pod, 
Help us make more like this. Visit stuff.co.nz support. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on I, what, rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo about gotcha journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, attack line there. That, that, I think that it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're, I'm not worried about it at all. Nothing iffy in there. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts.